Amen. Well, rather than go up there for all of us, I'm just going to stay down here, and I hope that that's okay. My name is Jordan, for those of you who don't know me, and um, it seems like every time uh, we gather here in the north, I'm somewhere else, and so um, it's actually good to be with you this evening. Um, last time that uh, you all gathered together, I was in, I think I was in India at the time, and had the opportunity to, along with two other guys, to uh, travel all down the southeastern coast of India and uh, train over 250 pastors in the course of a week, and um, just a great opportunity. So um, anyway, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 this evening. What we're going to do is we're going to look at, at a passage of Scripture that um, is, uh, has been informative in the life of Missio, even though we haven't spent a ton of time teaching through it over the years. It's, it's been an informative passage, and as we look at it, uh, we're going to recognize that it's a, it's a descriptive passage. It's not necessarily a prescriptive passage. So although we've taken principles out of it and applied them into our context, we're not saying, uh, as we look at Acts chapter 13, that this is the way every congregation has to be. Does that make sense? So this is, again, what we call a, a, it's a descriptive passage. It's describing events that happened. Um, they, they aren't necessarily the way that God's always going to work, but we do see some principles within this passage that we've tried to apply uh, in the past and want to continue to apply as we move forward. So uh, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch, all right, uh, prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the, work for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Sal Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. This was John Mark. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they, there came a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was of the proconsul. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when they saw what, they had, what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and they sat down and then just begins to describe what they did at Antioch in Pisidia. And there's, there's a couple things about the church at Antioch that we see here uh, in this text that we as a congregation, from the very beginning of our formation of Missio back um, 
in, uh, in 2007, um, you know, when we were meeting, uh, you know, Val and Jim, you'll remember this, when we were in the basement of that building over in Carrier Circle. These are principles and ideas that we always sought to be about and continue to strive to be about uh, and continue to live with. And so, number one, we see that Antioch as a church, um, uh, the first Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were part of the, the elders there, that was a church that was led by the Spirit of God. Right? And so we see a sensitivity to the Spirit of God among a plurality of leaders in the church at Antioch. Right? So we see that in the very first verses. There were in the, in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, right? Lucius, Manian, and Saul. So you see this plurality of leaders, these un- unbelievable uh, plurality of leaders. And those men, as they spent time together as elders in a congregation pursuing Jesus together, they were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? And so in, in being a, a church that sought to, to, to be uh, laterally postured, which is what I believe Antioch sought to be, number one, they had to be a church that was sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. We, when... when, when uh, when Jeremy and I first started talking about planting a church here in Syracuse and Jim and I moved up, you know, we, we said from the, the very beginning that we wanted to be a church that wasn't just about a congregation but was about a city, was about, about being laterally postured, that we, we sought to, to partner with as many congregations as we could. And so uh, the, one of the very first things that I did was I went from church to church. I met with any and every pastor that would meet with me and... Um, I basically asked him two questions. He thought I was coming in to ask him for money and for people because I was a church planter. And instead, I asked him two questions. I just asked him how, how, what he believed God was doing in Syracuse. I just wanted to hear what God was doing in his congregation, what God was doing among his people. And then the second thing was, how can we pray for and support you? Are there any ways that we as a young congregation can serve you? Are there any things that we can be praying for for you? Are there any ways that we can come alongside of you? Because from the very beginning, we wanted to be, we were very aware that there was one church in the city, and we wanted to be very, very sensitive to what the Spirit of God was already doing here in Syracuse. We didn't believe that the Spirit of God arrived in this place with us. Uh, That would be the height of arrogance. But we wanted to be very sensitive to what the Spirit of God was doing in and among his people. And at the same time, we wanted to posture ourselves in a way that sought to be a blessing to the larger congregation or to the larger body of Christ. And we see that with Antioch as well, that they were a church that wasn't just postured for themselves, but they were postured globally. I mean, they took took a stance that they were going to invest not just in Antioch and in the surrounding regions, but that they were going to be a church for the world. And so from the very beginning, those, these are the things that we've talked about here at Missio. Right? We started off and we said we, we exist for 500,000 people. Now that was when it was Jim Murphy and I sitting in a little office in the basement of the S&W building in Jane, on Genesee Street downtown. Like, man, 500,000 people. You know, we had 11 people gathering in the basement of the Baptist Convention building, right? And most of those people were children. And, and you know, and it was just ridiculous. You know, it was ridiculous. I remember, I remember sitting with Murphy one day as he's like, look, I was leading worship for 500 people last week, and now I'm, what am I doing? Are you, are you, what, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And it's like, dude, no, this is going to go. This is, this is what God has called us to. 
And within a very, very short period of time, we began to dream even bigger than 500,000 so that now, if you were to say to me, what does Missio Church exist for? I'll tell you that it exists for 7.3 billion people, that the glory of God would be made known and would be on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ as it's presented to 7.3 billion people. Again, I had the opportunity to be in India last week, right? 250 pastors that I, that I was with. You might say, well, that's, that's going to have... That's going to have some effect, but let me, let me tell you a story. I was with a man named Ramesh in India, and Ramesh is just this humble dude who lives in South Chennai. Chennai is a city that used to be known as Madras. It's on the Bay of Bengal on the southern part of, uh, of uh, the southeastern tip of, of India. It's hotter than fruit in Chennai. Um, it's 115 degrees right now, and it's just crazy, crazy hot. And as, as we were driving, um, uh, I had the opportunity to preach it at uh, Ramesh's church. It meets in a tent. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't mean a bill. It meets in a tent. As I was preaching, there were cattle. There were, there were chickens. There were children. It, was, it meets in a tent. And as we began to talk to Ramesh about his church, we began to say, Ramesh, tell us about the congregation that you pastor. He said, well, there's about 150 people. We've been doing this for about six years. I said, man... That's great. He said, there's three of us. There's myself, there's another, and there's two other pastors, um, and, and this congregation's 150 people. I said, well, well, tell me what you've been doing over the last six years. He said, well, we've just been going out into all the neighboring towns. I said, really? Well, what's happened? He said, well, we've had the opportunity to plant 62 other churches. Huh? 62 other churches. Well, well, tell me about these churches, Ramesh. How many people would you say are in those 62 other churches? Now, again, remind you, this is a man who's got zero education. Over 7,000. How, how big is your staff if you've got 7,000 people? Well, I just told you, it's the three of us. Right? One of us takes care of this congregation, and myself and this 70-year-old man travel to the other 62. And we just preach the gospel. And we've seen this happen. Well, okay, out of the 7,000, Ramesh, how many of those have come to faith in Jesus over the last six years? He said, well, in excess of 6,000 people. See, we, um, I learn from Ramesh as Ramesh learns from me. Right? There are principles I can teach Ramesh about theology and so forth and so on. And that's helpful, and that goes on. And, and so we, Missio, has the opportunity to influence guys like Ramesh who are going out and influencing thousands of people. And at the same time, because we've decided to be postured globally, we have the opportunity to, to hear and see what it is that we dream about. You see, because that's my dream for Sarah. Not, not one church in the middle of downtown Syracuse that grows up and grows up and grows up and grows up, but smatterings of the people of God all over the place in such a way that the gospel as it goes out from this place, as it goes out in God's people, it transforms lives. And as it transforms lives, we see massive life change. Wouldn't, you know, in America, we're, we're thrilled with 10% conversion rate. Ramesh has over a 90% conversion rate. Uh, why? Well, he's made a decision. He's doing the very thing that we see Paul and Barnabas do. This is the type of thing that we're trying to, to do here. He, um, what we see in being globally postured 
is that we have the opportunity to live for something much larger than ourselves. Right? Much larger than ourselves. Antioch not only was globally postured, but they took their greatest asset. I've got to believe their greatest asset. I don't know much about, um, about uh, Simeon. I don't know much of Lucius. I don't know much of Mannion. But I know about Paul and Barnabas. And I've got to believe that out of the five, Paul and Barnabas are probably the higher capacity dudes. Right? They go out and they change the world. And so Antioch, rather than saying, well, Paul and Barnabas, they're really important to have here. You know, we really need Paul's teaching gift and we really need Barnabas' encouragement gift. Rather than doing that, they say, you want to know what? Spirit of God said, put your hands on these men and send them out. And so we'll take our best asset and we'll leverage them out. And we believe that the greatest asset that we have, we believe this from the very beginning, is our people. Right? The greatest asset that, that, that any leader in a congregation of people has is not himself. It's his people. And so it's always been our heart to take people as they came into Missio, as they, as they came to faith in Jesus, as they came from other parts of the county, as we saw them come together and we saw, wait a minute, we've got a lot of people that live in that area. Our heart and our desire has always been to lay our hands on them because the Spirit of God has told us to do this and to send them out to send them out back into those places. We see Paul and Barnabas' strategy. It, it's pretty simple. When they, got, when they got to the island of Cyprus, which was Barnabas' hometown, by the way, this is where Barnabas came from, what did they do? They went, to the entire, they went through the entire island. They saturated the entire region. And, and what did they saturate it with? Did they saturate it by saying, we need to go find buildings, and we need, to, you know, we need to procure signs, and we need a really cool website? No, they just went around and they preached the gospel. That's all they did. It's all they did. There's no, not, nothing, there nothing fancy about it, you know? I mean, you know, Outreach Magazine would not be calling up Paul and Barnabas for any sort of new strategic deal, right? All they did was preach the gospel everywhere they went. They went into the synagogues. They went into the streets. They preached the gospel everywhere they went. And you see that the people that they were influencing weren't just the simple people. I mean, the two dudes that we talk about here, right, the proconsul and the magician, they're educated men. And Paul and Barnabas were educated men, right? And so we see that the strategy is really simple. Everywhere there are people, the gospel needs to be. Everywhere there are people, the gospel needs to be, right? Now, you and I, we could drive through parts of Lafayette, and not see a person for a long period of time. All right, we're not saying every square mile needs people. Needs, no, everywhere there are people, we need representation of the gospel. For every 1,000 people, we need an expression of the body of Christ in their midst. Why? So that we can have lots of churches? No, 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 no. So that we can have proximity to people. Please don't misunderstand. Our goal is not to plant a lot of churches. It's never been to plant a lot of churches. Our goal is to saturate a geography with the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our goal is the full evangelization of 500,000 people. And that's going to happen when we see in proximity to people, the people of God. That's why, we're, that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're doing what we're doing. As people came to faith, right, churches were planted. They didn't plant churches. They didn't go out and say, okay, what we got to do is we got to find a building, right? And we got to get good signage. And we got, no, 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 no. As people came to faith, churches were planted. 
And that's what we want to do is we want to plant churches based upon the conversion of people. We've taken a long time to plant this church, right? If, if we had wanted to, we could have had weekly Sunday morning meetings a year and a half ago. But what we've been trying to do is instill in the DNA of the people that are part of this congregation a willingness to be Christ's representatives in this community. What we've tried to do is instill in the hearts of the people that are part of this congregation a, a, a sense of destiny that God has placed me here and he's placed me here because there are lost people all around me. And I am his chosen representative in this place. That's, that's why we've taken our time. We've been very, very deliberate. Some would say slow. I don't think slow. We've been deliberate. We've been methodical. We've been trying to instill a DNA the same way that we did downtown. After, this is the last part of their strategy, after establishing the churches, they didn't stay there and create empires unto themselves. They moved on to the next place. That's what they did. And our desire isn't to have this huge deal in Liverpool someday. Our desire is to see people come to faith in Liverpool and to see the people who come to faith in Liverpool reach out to other parts of the county and to send people to go plant churches in those parts of the county as well. That's what we're desiring to do. That's always been what we've desired to do. As I look at this text, again, it's a, pre it's a descriptive text, but it, it, it does for me, as I think of what an apostolic calling is, it does for me kind of give some prescriptions for activity as to what we should be doing. And so what we want to do for the rest of our time this evening is just kind of talk really, really um, basically about just kind of some future-oriented things with regard to this particular congregation. Some decisions that the planting of this congregation has caused uh, the elders of Missio Church to come back and say, okay, um, God, what do you want us to do? Right? We, we set off to plant a church in Liverpool, and in the process of planting a church in Liverpool, we've recognized some things that um, in our original strategy were good and some things in our original strategy that needed to be tweaked. And the beautiful thing about strategy is strategy is not biblical. Strategy changes. Does that make sense? Vision, I think, man, I think God's given us a vision for what, 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 what he's called us to do in an overarching capacity. But strategies are, are momentary. And we're going after the best strategies that we can, can, can come up with. So, number one, and you'll see this. We've got handouts. Mike's going to hand this out for you. And uh, the handout's a little different order than the slides that we're going to present it with. But I, I trust that we're all of high capacity enough to follow along as we do this. Um, number one, there's an overview, there's an overview part or an overview slide. With the goal of the full evangelization of Onondaga County, all right? And when we talk about the full evangelization of Onondaga County, please don't misunderstand. I do not anticipate 500,000 people coming to faith in Jesus. Would I love that? Absolutely. Am I responsible for that? Absolutely not. That's a work of the Spirit of God. We are responsible as Christ's people to, to take seriously our calling to the full evangelization of the place that we live in. If we're not willing to evangelize the place we live in, we should move. It's as simple as that. If Missio Church downtown is not willing to evangelize the west side of the city of Syracuse, we should let somebody else be in that building. Does that make sense? And so um, 
The goal is the full evangelization of Onondaga County. 500,000 people with repeated opportunity to see, to hear, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ as it goes out in its people, in all of Christ's people, including its northern suburbs. Um, so with, with the goal of the full evangelization of Onondaga County, including its northern suburbs, the elders and leadership of Missio Church and Missio Church North have prayerfully concluded that this new congregation would, be more effect, would more effectively reach its geography as an interdependent, autonomous congregation. When we started this journey, we talked about campuses. We'll have a campus here, and we'll have a campus here, and we'll have a campus here, and we'll have a campus here. And as we've begun to just kind of journey through this process, what we think is, is a better way of doing this are, are, are these three words. And I want to walk through these particular words because they're, they're, they're carefully chosen words. An interdependent autonomous congregation. Now, interdependent and autonomous almost seem like they compete against each other, <laughs> right? Autonomy in most of our minds is, you can't tell me what to do. Autonomy in most of our minds is, you're not the boss of me, right? You ever have a child tell you that, Father's Day, right? You're not the boss of me, really? As I give you a swift kick in the rear, I am the boss of you. I'll always be the boss of you. Don't you ever forget it, right? Um, when we talk about autonomy, um, what we're talking about is a congregation that has the freedom to, uh, to be itself. When we planted Missio, when we first came up, we, we were known as Summit Church. I had planted a church in South Florida called Summit Church, myself and a few other guys, and, and that church was integral in sending uh, Jim and, and I up to, up to Syracuse and uh, man, I love Summit Church. I love, every time I'm down in South Florida, I love going there. I love worshiping with those people. I love just seeing what God's doing there. And when we came up, we thought, man, we'll just keep that name. I mean, that is who we are. And what ended up happening is um, it was like having a son and a daughter and naming them the same thing. Like, my, I, I got four kids, and they're all four different kids, right? They have the same DNA, Right? And in some way, they look in some forms and fashions like their parents. Like my son Jonas is the spitting image of my wife. I will tell him at times, dude, just take off your glasses and tell me you love me. Just take off your glasses and tell me I'm wonderful. Right? You know, just because I need that. I need that. I need to hear that from somebody right now. And you look closer to your mother than anyone else. We're going to braid your blonde hair, and I want you to tell me how great I am. Right? And he's just like, Dad, I hate you. Hate you right now. Um, so we decided to change the name, and when we changed the name from Summit Church to Missio Church, it liberated me. Because although I didn't recognize it, I had an expectation that Missio, as it currently is, would be just like Summit. And when we when it became autonomous, it had the freedom to become what it needed to become, which is different. It's got the same DNA. But it's different. It's different. And I can tell you with all its sincerity, there's no place I'd rather be. There's no church that I'd rather be at on a Sunday morning than at Missio Church in downtown Syracuse, New York. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so when we talk about autonomy, we're not talking about a completely independent congregation. What we're talking about is the, the freedom to have its own personality while it lives in interdependent relationship with other congregations. Does that make sense? 
We're going to talk a little bit more about that. An interdependent, autonomous congregation. Interdependent that they're, um, well, that, that, that'll come on another slide, so we'll, we'll just talk about that. We use the word congregation with intentionality rather than church. We believe that there's one church in the city. We use the word church in our title because the, 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 the society around us doesn't understand what we're talking about. And so we are intentional, we call ourselves church. But in our, as I read scripture, when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he didn't write to you know, this one particular church on 1st Street in Corinth, but not, he wrote to the church at Corinth, which was one large body that was broken up into multiple congregations spread out throughout a city. And so when we talk about an, an autonomous, interdependent congregation, our, our view in mind is there's one church in Syracuse, and we need every congregation that's part of that one church in Syracuse to be about the mission of God. Uh, the vision, okay, from, from our inception, you'll see this, the rationale and the vision. From the inception in 2008, Missio Church's vision has been precise and focused on three aspects. Number one, um, the first part of that was to plant a church. I feel like we're, we're, we're at stage one here. We're doing that all over again here, right? And so um, what we wanted to do was to come up and plan a church that embodied a particular set of values and, a particular, and, and held its people to a particular set of outcomes, that believed God for a particular set of outcomes, that, that, that all of the people that were part of that church would embrace God, his truth, his love, his mission, and that as a result of that, that life of faith, that there would be in them the, the, the overflow of their heart, we would see a growing intimacy with God. We would see a demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. We would see them sharing their grace stories, being empowered and equipped to, to share the gospel with people and to, and to talk with people about what Jesus had done and how he had changed their lives, that, that all of those people would be using their spiritual gifts to serve not only the body on a regular basis, but the city and the community and that they would be stewarding their lives wisely. We, we believed God back in 2007 when we met in that little building um, in the basement for that congregation. And I'm here to tell you that four or five years later, we see a congregation in the city of Syracuse that is embodying those values and those outcomes. And it's been a great journey, you know? And, and so publicly, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Bob. You know, for, for being early people, Tracy, for being early adopters of that and coming in those early, early days and believing in a bunch of punk kids that said, man, we believe that nobody else believes that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign in Syracuse. We believe that God is going to do this. And we've seen God do that. We believe the same thing here, Liverpool. God wants to do the same thing up here in the northern suburbs. So that was the first part of the vision. We wanted to have at least a beachhead where we could see these things play out. Number two, that we would partner with other churches. I told you already, I went around to every church that would meet with me and ask them, just, man, how can we serve you? And I can't tell you how many of them, churches that I anticipated at least being friendly, saying, basically, dude, get out. We're not interested. We're not interested. And it was, it's okay, you know, no animosity, no frustration. It's fine. We've continued to go back and continue to go back and continue to go back. And one of the beautiful things is Adam Brago, who's coming on staff next week at Missio, his job is partnering with churches for, the, for gospel advancement. And Adam, unlike me, I'm not a nice guy, and Adam is a nice guy. And so the reality is, is I've broken open some holes and some doors. Adam, who's wonderful and gentle and kind and just really, really gracious, 
man, he's going to make partnership with other congregations a whole heck of a lot easier than, um, than I've probably ever made it uh, to be. And then we wanted to plant more congregations, not for the sake of planting congregations, but again, we believe that if people came to faith, congregations would need to be planted. They would need to be organized, right? And you say, well, why can't they just be organized in one large building, you know, in the center of, of the town? Well, a lot of people don't have cars. A lot of people don't live there, and a lot of people don't do their life there, you know? And for a lot of, for a lot of people that live up in Baldwinsville to come into the west side, the near west side of the city of Syracuse, like, I'm not going down there. I'm not... I'm certainly not going down there at night. You know, what are you talking about? And so what we want to do is we want to plant congregations in particular geographies that take seriously their responsibility to present the gospel to every man, woman, and child that reside within that geography. Right? Think of McDonald's. Right? Now, you may not like the food at McDonald's. I shared this illustration with somebody the other day with my landlord, and he said, well, McDonald's is killing people. I said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about product here. I'm just talking about model." Right? McDonald's didn't conquer the world by placing one in the middle of town. It conquered the world by placing one in every neighborhood and everywhere you go. Starbucks, same deal. Right? Most cities that I travel in in the world, I can find a Starbucks. There are none in India, unfortunately. But they're all over Dubai, they're all over China, they're all over Asia. They figured out, man, if we put one in the middle of people, people will come, and we put another one, and then we put another one, and then we put another one in proximity to where people live. We believe that by planning an independent, autonomous congregation, that it's more effective, it's more reflective of what we originally set out to accomplish for the glory of God and for the good of the city. Because now what we can do as we talk about interdependency, which is on the next slide, is now rather than saying missio is doing this, boom, 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 we can say missio is doing this, and missio is partnered with this congregation in Liverpool, and is partnered with this congregation over at the university, and is partnered with Grace Chapel over in Skinny Atlas, and is partnered with, and it is a much less threatening thing for the rest of the body of Christ to become involved with. And if we say, hey, we've got 10 missios, why don't you come and join us? We say we have a missio church here, and we have a blank church here, and we've got another church over here, and we've got a grace chapel over here. That becomes this, this, this team of congregations that are working together. You see this picture um, under interdependency. A vision and a strategy for reaching central New York must include the embracing of one vision shared by multiple congregations that is undergirded by interdependent leadership. And this is really the strategy that we believe that God's called us to, is that there's one vision, right? The vision is exactly what the vision has always been, the full evangelization of Onondaga County. The, 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 every man, woman, and child would have repeated opportunities to see, hear, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about one vision, we kind of put that as this overarching thing that these congregations that are going to partner together, that they will, they will all come underneath this one vision. And then they'll be undergirded by a common leadership, an interdependent leadership, right? That there's giftings of leaders that are in our congregation and there's giftings of leaders that are in other congregations. And rather than, rather than highlighting the giftedness of one in that particular converse, congregation, what would it be to have multiple congregations share leadership across the board? 
What would it be to allow a guy like Jim Murphy, who's got a, a, a gift to empower people towards evangelism, what would it be to release Jim Murphy, not just so that he does that at Missio, but so that he's released into the larger body of Onondaga County and said, you want to know what, man? Go train every congregation that is willing to be trained on how to, on how to do my circle and how to do it effectively. What would it be like to have a guy like Bernie come alongside of pastors and be a resource as they think through, how do I train my people theologically? How do I help my people dig deep down into truth? And so forth and so on. And so what we see is we see one vision, all right? We see multiple congregations, right? They have their own individual identities, their own individual personalities. The reality is there are going to be things that happen downtown that we're not going to force upon a Liverpool congregation because it's a different context, it's different people, right? We're not going to, you know, we're going to do ESL down there. We might not do it up here. You know, we're going to do certain things down there that we might not do. We're going to do certain things here that we might not do downtown. We want this congregation to be able to have its own personality. We want this congregation to be reflective of the people that are part of it, the people that are leading it, the people that are serving in it, the people that are part of it. But again, we want it to be undergirded by a common leadership, all right? So that as, 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 as guys like Mike and as Jeremy and Paul and Tim, as they come out and as they give primary leadership here, they're not on their own. They're tethered to a larger group of guys that together have said, give us Syracuse. By the grace of God, give us Syracuse, right? Give us this city. We are believing God for something bigger than ourselves. We're believing him for this place, all right? So you see that picture there. Vision is over it. Leadership undergirds it. Multiple congregations that are built up so that all of Christ's people are empowered and equipped to love Jesus and to represent Jesus in this place. That goes to our next deal. Uh, empowerment. Whatever God's going to do in the world, he will primarily do through all of Christ's people as their leadership remains committed to empowering them in the mission. We believe that an autonomous congregation will more effectively empower Christ's people for the full evangelization of their respective communities. By freeing this team of leaders up to shepherd and to lead this congregation with the majority of their time. That's the full empowerment of these people, you, you, into this geography. I think that's going to be far more effective in reaching Liverpool than in having Missio North tag along and do the things that Missio Church does. We want this to be its own congregation. Same vision, same, it's like my kids. When you look at my kids, they all look like my kids, except Jonas, looks like my wife, right? But all you got to do is spend five minutes with Jonas, and you know he's obnoxious, and he's my kid, right? The DNA is there. It may need to be scratched a little beneath the surface to get to it, right? These congregations that we're planting, they will be of the same DNA. They may not have the same name. They, you know, you may see me here, you may see me there, Right? It, it, those things don't really matter. What matters is the vision. What matters is the, is the convictions. What matters is the values, the outcomes that we're holding people to. And those are the things that we're going to run after together. We think that we're going to be more effective by releasing a team of leaders in this community uh, with its primary function and purpose as in raising up this body uh, more effective in empowering the people that live here than if 
um, if those people are, are constantly divided in their time and their attention and their, um, their affections. Number, I don't know what number this is. This is uh, Mike set these up so there aren't numbers. I normally have numbers, so I like numbers. But anyway, whatever number this one is, contextualization. We want this church to look like the northern suburbs. We want it to look like the people that live here, right? Years ago, I heard a guy named Ed Stetzer. Ed, Ed is a, he's a, he's a research guy in the church, and uh, he's a church planner. And, and I remember, I, this is probably 10 years ago, I heard him say this. He, he made a statement. He said, don't plant a church in your head, plant it in your community. You know, and there's a lot of times, there's a lot of guys I know who've said, man, we want to plant a church downtown because, it, you know, it's young and it's hip and it's cool. And, it's, and I'm like, dude, have you been downtown? The guys like Jeremy work downtown, and nobody lives down there. And then when you're really in the nothing hip or cool about Jeremy, we all, it's pretty clear if you've ever seen him on a work day, uh, nothing hip or cool, right? There's nothing hip or cool going on down there, right? And we get these, you know, and then when you get into the urban neighborhoods, it's, it's not like hipster neighborhoods, it's poverty. And, and they flame out after a couple months. They go back out. And it's like, no. If you're going to plant a church in the city, plant a church for the city. If you're going to plant a church in the suburbs, plant a church for the suburbs. There are different issues, different, different um, things that people that live out here wrestle with than live in the city wrestle with. Right? Same gospel, same Bible. We're going to preach the same gospel. We're going to preach the same Bible. We're not going to contextualize the gospel in any way that waters it down. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the people who are our target audience, the, 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 the people that live in a geography, and we're going to say, how do we reach these people? What are the strategies we need to employ to reach these people? Because they're different than it's going to be at the university. You know, at the university, all we've got to do is pull out pizza, and we can gather people. Right? There's pizza and Mountain Dew. Uh, we'll get people. Right? That's not the case here. You can get your own pizza. <laughs> and you can probably get better pizza than what we would provide. So why would I come for bad pizza? Right? Uh, so we're going to contextualize it. Establishing this congregation autonomously will provide greater freedom for it to mobilize Christ's people in the mission in a more contextualized manner. There are going to be issues that arise within this congregation that you're going to need to address specifically to this congregation. They're not going to arise in the larger congregation. Like, the perfect example is this morning. We're walking through a series on, on questions, right? So um, two weeks ago, Mike answered. Mike, did you do a question two weeks ago? Which question did you do? How to pray unceasingly. And so that question was addressed uh, downtown, and it was addressed here, and it made sense because, man, that is a question that goes across the board. Well, this morning I had the question of singleness, Right? How, do, how does a single person discover God's direction and will for their life? I just thought to myself, there may be one or two single people here tonight, but the, the vast majority of people here are married. Right? And so what we want to do is we want to we preach messages that fit within the congregation. Again, this is the contextualization that we're talking about. Rather than just saying, well, you know, we were going to do it there, we're going to do it here. We want to give you guys the freedom to be who you are. I think of it this way. I have two brothers, right? And um, my brother Jamin, um, he has his wife and his kids. My brother Jason uh, has his own house, and, and he's not married. And um, when I'm at Jamin's house, it, things look a certain way, 
And they have the freedom in their house to do particular things that they want to do, you know? Um, it used to be my house. I, I bought the house. I actually still technically own the house, right? And, you know, every time I'm there, he's like, does it feel awkward for you to be here? No, 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 this is your house. You paint the walls whatever color you want to paint them. You do whatever you want with the front. You do whatever you want. I don't care. I don't care what you do with the bushes or the wall. It's your house, right? In the same way, we want this congregation to have the freedom to paint the walls, right? We want the congregation to have the freedom to, to kind of say, this is who we are. We, we fit under the vision. We're running after the same thing. We're, we're holding our people to a particular standard of a life of faith, and, and we're, we're believing God for particular outcomes in their midst and in their lives, but this congregation looks this particular way. Movement. Unwaveringly committed to our vision and mission and values, we are trusting God for a spirit-empowered movement of churches, right? When, you, when we saw that picture and you saw vision and you saw leadership and then you saw these churches, right? There were only five bubbles there, but our hope is that there would be just dozens upon dozens of expressions of the body of Christ planted, not out of missio per se, but out of the body of Christ as the Spirit of God moves in this place. That We're, uh, we're trusting God for a spirit-empowered movement of churches that stand on the gospel. And an autonomous congregation, we believe, will be more effective in cultivating a movement in a way that the management of campuses and or locations will not. I'm not into managing. I don't want to manage anything. Right? What we want to do is we want to free up people to just run. Not to be managed, but to run. We want to hold them accountable. We want to hold one another accountable. In the body, we hold one another accountable but we want you to be freed up to run. To run as far, to run as fast as the Spirit of God allows you to run. Right? To do all the things that God's Spirit has called you to do. As I've, as I've talked with this decision with um, a lot of guys that I know around the country who are planting churches, almost every single one of them who has gone after a campus model has said, I wish we hadn't done that. I wish we had planted churches or congregations because we find ourselves managing. Just the management of these congregations eats up so much of our time and our resources that it's killing us. And so we just want to avoid the pitfalls of that. Right? So what's the invitation for you? As we move forward together as a new interdependent and autonomous congregation, here's the things we're encouraging you to do. Number one, pray. We want you to pray about this. We want you to pray about what God would have you do, how God would have you be involved, how God would have you give your life for the full evangelization of the northern suburbs. Um, we want you to pray for the leadership of this. I want you to pray for, for Mike, and I want you to pray for, 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 for Paul and for Jeremy and for Tim, who's a missional community. I want you to pray for your missional communities. I want you to pray for the... the um, just, just pray for this. Pray for the people of this congregation. We want you to get connected. If you're not part of a missional community, we want to get you connected in one. If you're not serving, we want to get you serving. If you haven't been through um, the My Circle uh, initiative, we want, we, want to, we want to get you trained in how to, how to share your story of grace with other people. We want to get you connected, not to an organization, but to a people, right? To a family that loves you, wants to love you, and wants to serve Jesus alongside of you. We are asking you to serve, right? Jesus himself was a servant. 
And I am not greater than Jesus, and so therefore I gird up myself with a towel and serve. And that's what we do. We want you to give. Right? We want you to give freely and sacrificially. We're not, I don't know, we're not uh, looking at your, your pay stub and then comparing that to your giving statement and saying, hmm, please, who's got time or energy to do that? What, what you give is between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. We don't want you to think, I give, I give, I give to, you know, the other day I was at a restaurant and they printed out for me what, what my tip should be. And I thought, I'm not doing that. Just because you told me to do that, I'm not going to do that. That's my rebellious nature. I'm going to give less than that, which is something I don't normally do. Normally, I'm a very good tipper. But the, the scriptures, they start with a bottom line. The tithe, I think, is a bottom line. And, the, and when I read through the New Testament, there's a call towards living generously, living with an open hand, living with a stewardship of life that says everything I have has been given to me from God, and so I give freely. And so as we talk about giving, that may require financial giving. It will require um, giving of your time. It will require opening up your home. It will require investing your life into the lives of other people. When we talk about giving, it's much, much, much more than just your, your wallet. It's will I give my life away or will I, will I hold tightly to it? Right? And when I read the scriptures and I see that Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself and became a servant, and I'm told earlier that I should have the same mind that Christ Jesus had, then I, the call to give for me is not a hard call. It's an easy call. It's, it's actually a faithful response to the gospel. So what we want to do is we want to give you the freedom, not in this public forum right now, but uh, in, in, the, in, um, in, in the upcoming days, to, to think about this, to take that, that uh, handout out um, home, to, to, to walk through it yourself, to kind of continue to just chew on it, and we, we welcome your feedback. We want to hear what you think about this, um, and uh, Mike's going to be, you know, um, creating some opportunities for you to kind of... Just ask questions if you got questions, um, to give feedback if you got feedback, and, uh, and, uh, and whatnot. When, when we planted Missio, here's what I knew. And um, in the early days, um, and, and again, um, Jim and Val and Bob and Deb and, and Tracy, they can attest to this. There were a lot of people that, that probably the first two years came through Missio and didn't stick. A lot of people, a lot of people came, and they'd say to me, man, we love the preaching, or we love the music, or this or that. But the more and more and more and more we asked them to give the church away, to give away their perception of church, and to embrace a vision that was larger than what they could comprehend, the more and more they ran away from it. And that's fine. That's fine. What we're asking you to do all over again is to give away a perception of church. Because for some of you, being part of what's going on downtown feels really good. And it feels like it's finally starting to hit something. And it feels like, man, this is legitimate. Remember, whenever Paul and Barnabas got to a point where the church was there and was up and was going, they recognized that the call that God had on their life was to get up and to go. And for some of you, that may be the very same call. As you wrestle with the give, it may be to give up your perception of what the church is and what it means to you and to be willing to go right back down to 
floor, you know, to the basement of the Baptist Convention building and to build and to build and to build. Why? For those that made those sacrifices in the early years, there's a lot of people that are reaping the benefit of that. For those that are willing to make the sacrifice again now, we believe that in the years to come there will be, there will be hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, that reap the benefit of the sacrifices that this group is willing to make together. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for that which you have um, done for us in saving us from our sin and, and, um, and for cleansing us, for making us whole, for making us now the vessels in which your spirit dwell, and for choosing us to be your people, uh, your representatives here in the world. God, I pray for this congregation. I pray that you would build it and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. God, we pray that, that, um, that, that moments like this, which are just, they're just moments, they're, they're, they're um, small steps in a life. That's all they are. They're, you know, eating food for maybe the first time as a baby or, you know, saying dada or anything like that. They don't shape the rest of our life per se. We don't think about them all the time, and yet they were foundational and formational in who we became. And so, God, we pray that, that these decisions that we make in these days would, um, would outlive us. As you build the church here, that outlives us. We pray, Father, that this congregation would be active in discipling people and releasing people, sensitive to the Spirit of God, <coughs> willing to um, do all that you have called it to do. God, we pray if there's any in this room this evening who've yet to embrace Jesus as the Lord and Savior, just like, just like the man from the proconsul in Acts chapter 13, as Paul proclaimed the gospel to him, he, and he wanted to hear more. So, Lord, if there are any that, that are here this evening who need to embrace Jesus as Lord and as Savior, we pray that today would be the day that they step from death into life. God, glorify yourself not only in this church, but in every other congregation that stands on the gospel throughout this community. God, we thank you for our friends at Calvary Chapel. We ask that you bless them abundantly for being gracious and generous to us uh, and providing this space for us. Lord, we pray that we would be a congregation that would do the same for other congregations in the future. God, glorify yourself uh, in and through us in Jesus' name.